Welcome to the Three P's of Cancer podcast, where we'll discuss prevention, preparedness, and progress in cancer treatments and research. Brought to you by the University of Michigan Rogel Cancer Center. I'm Scott Redding. We're here with Michigan Medicine Pediatric Oncologist, Dr. Emily Walling, and University of Michigan Clinical Social Worker, Dr. Anau Zhang, to talk about the Adolescent and Young Adults Oncology Program. Dr. Walling is the co-medical director of the Michigan Medicine Adolescent and Young Adults Oncology Program. She's been at Michigan since 2016 with a research interest on the impact of health disparities on childhood cancer outcomes. Dr. Zhang is the research director for clinical services and patient outcomes for the Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program, and whose clinical focus is on care in a healthcare setting and psychosocial oncology. Welcome, Emily. Welcome, Anau. Thank you so much for having us, Scott. We're really excited to tell people about our new program. Thanks, Scott. Can you tell us who is this Adolescent and Young Adult Oncology Program for? Yeah, of course. So our program is aiming to serve um, teenagers and young adults with a cancer diagnosis. And the age range that we're really targeting is those about 13 years old all the way up to 39 years of age. And they can be really anywhere in their cancer treatment journey from diagnosis all the way to um, completing treatment and entering the surveillance into survivorship portion of their cancer journey. Someone who had a childhood leukemia and is maybe five years out, would this be something that they could uh, also participate in? It would be. I think at that point, um, you know, the, we do things on the pediatric side a, a little differently than they do on the adult side, but it would kind of depend if that patient was already part of a survivorship group already. Um, if not, we would certainly be involved to help transition them to a survivorship group so they can learn about, you know, the late effects of their their cancer treatments that they need to be aware of and on the lookout for and cope with um, life after cancer diagnosis and cancer treatment. Why is it important to focus on this age range? That's a really good question, Scott. So Several several years ago, a really pioneering pediatric oncologist named Archie Blyer um, noticed that people in the age range of adolescents and young adults were not enjoying the same increase in survivorship that their younger and older counterparts were in terms of um, surviving from their cancer and relapse rates from their cancer. And he was really one of the first people to to point this out. And it's for a multitude of different reasons. As you can imagine, this age range that we're talking about is a time of a lot of transitions. Patients can be anywhere from entering high school to starting a family, to starting their first job, to being in college. And um, because of this high transition time, there's also a risk of not being insured all of these things contribute to not being treated at a specialized cancer center and not having access to clinical trials that have been really shown to increase survivability of of these respective cancers. The other thing that contributes to this is that the cancers that are seen in this age range are not replicated at any other time in life, meaning that they're unique cancers from older adults and from children. And so it really requires people with a specialization in adolescent and young adult oncology to to treat these patients. 
Two other major contributing factors for this age range are um, adherence to treatment regimens, and that includes not only taking medications, but showing up for visits, and the unique kind of challenges of this, this age range, risk-taking behavior, um, experimenting for the first time with drugs, alcohol, sexual health, fertility preservation, you know, wanting to start a family that might be complicated by the cancer treatment they received. So there's, there's quite a lot going on in this, this age range that contributes to their uh, successful cancer treatment. Kind of to my previous question about the childhood leukemia, someone being about five years out, you mentioned that this is unique patients from someone else. So how would, say, a 25-year-old who's been diagnosed with breast cancer, how would that vary from a 45-year-old who's diagnosed with breast cancer? So 25-year-olds who are diagnosed with breast cancer and Again, I will tell you this with the caveat that I'm a pediatric oncologist, so I don't treat breast cancer as frequently, but um, they have higher risk genetics than um, their older counterparts. So even though we see breast cancer in, you know, certainly in older adults and as well as the young adult population, their actual cancers behave much more differently. So they may not be you know, responding to the same treatments, a lot of the successes that we've seen with breast cancer treatment recently may not apply to this young adult population simply because of the genetics of their tumor. And we see that reflected in across the board with, with cancers in this age range, that they seem to have a unique genetic profile that can make um, their cancers more challenging to treat, even if by name it's the same cancer seen in a younger or older age group. Can you explain a little bit more about what makes up the Adolescent Young Adult Oncology Program? Yeah, absolutely. So we are really want to be a kind of umbrella over the already excellent oncology care that patients are receiving at Michigan Medicine. What the kind of tenets of our program is that we are, I'm, you know, again, a pediatric oncologist. I'm partnering with Dr. Rashmi Chug on the adult side. And so she is the other medical co-director. So our group has expertise in both pediatric and adult oncology, which is critically important. We're a patient-centered program, even within the discrete age range of, you know, 13 to 39, as you can imagine, patients have a huge variation of needs within that range. A 13-year-old certainly doesn't have the same needs as a 39-year-old. So we want to, you know, design our program to meet the specific needs of the discrete age ranges of these kids. And I'll just give you an example. One thing that's pretty unique to our program is that we've partnered as well with adolescent medicine. Um, and they will be available to see patients um, from the ages of 13 up to 25 and do kind of the usual kind of primary care that adolescents in this age range really need, access to um, sexual health conversations, risk-taking screening in terms of drugs and alcohol, mental health screening that our adolescent uh, medicine providers are really experts at and that can sometimes fall by the wayside when they're simply being seen by an oncologist and their cancer treatment takes center stage. 
So um, our, our program is going to be composed of clinical services partnered with a research component. And that is what Dr. Dr. Zhang is really um, in charge of. And we're so lucky to have him help us with this because along with the high clinical need of this patient population, there's also a lack of research on this patient population. So as far as the clinical services, I already talked about adolescent medicine and the important work that they're going to be doing. We will also be able to streamline our process for fertility preservation for these patients um, with our partnership with reproductive endocrinology. We have access to psychologists that specialize in both the the, um, kind of younger age range of this age group and the older age range. We'll be able to collect all the clinical trials that are available for patients in this age range. Um, What's been really uh, shown to be lacking is that current clinical trials have a lack of representation of patients in this age range. And that's not only important for the individual patient that they're not receiving the the treatment uh, offered on the clinical trial, but that also means that we don't have biologic specimens of their tumors. And um, that's really a big deal because we, as I talked about before, what we see in other cancers in in some cancers that hit this patient population is that they have a completely different biologic profile than their younger and older counterparts. So that's really critical information that right now we don't don't have robust access to. So as it relates to clinical research, it sounds very similar to what we hear a lot about when it comes to minority populations, that we don't have enough information from those populations to understand how their tumors react. And it's the same for this younger teen and a young adult population? That's exactly right. And that's a, that's a great um, analogy. There, as far as, you know, underserved patients within, you know, oncology, this is really the, the age range that would qualify as underserved patients. I know that there's research out there that once a patient is done with their oncologic care, that there seems to be a lag or some lack of information from that handoff from the uh, oncologist back to the primary care for gen- for general future care. By having adolescent medicine as part of that, will that maybe help with that handoff as time goes on? I certainly hope so. And that's, a, that's another really good point is that we, our, our program wants to be present for patients as often as they need, but we know that we will be present. Our hope is that we're present at critical times of transition. And you hit on one. That's exactly right. That when they're completed treatment and they need to go back under the care of their primary care provider, it's so important that the patient not only knows what they went through, but that their provider knows what they went through. So kind of the completion of therapy is a key key component that we you know want to to help with that transition. The other major transition in a patient's life is at their diagnosis, right? And that's when we're hoping that we'll capture a lot of these patients that once, you know, once oncologists are aware that our program exists, they'll their patient will be referred to us right at diagnosis, and we can kind of plug them in with our program and keep them on our radar for um, needs as they arise. And then kind of the third transition is 
even after the completion of therapy, typical, typically oncologists will follow patients for many years. And, you know, the, the kind of purpose of that time period is for really disease surveillance. Our hope with our program is that we start talking about survivorship early and, and, and help patients understand what they went through, what they need to be on the um, lookout for in the future, what possible late effects of, of treatment they could have. And so then that third transition is really the transition then from the surveillance period to a survivorship program, which is really, you know, and, and survivorship programs typically follow patients for many, many years. And really their focus is the late effects of treatment. But our hope is to start that conversation early and arm patients with the information that they need. Anu, can you talk a little bit more? I mean, obviously, we've heard a lot about the clinical side aspect. Can you talk more about what the research side is and what, what that might look like um, outside? I mean, we just talked about clinical trials, but, you know, explain a little bit more about how that this all fits in. Yeah, definitely. So as you said, Scott, uh, in addition to the clinical trial enrollment, we're also looking at many other psychosocial related needs of those adolescents with the ultimate goal that we can provide better care for them. So our research aims are primarily focusing on First of all, understanding the needs of those adolescent and young adult survivors. And, and then also second, trying to figure out what are the best and most effective strategies to, to engage them throughout the care process, as Emily described, from when they're receiving active care treatment, uh, or as, you know, uh, as they transition into the survivorship care. And finally, we're also looking at uh, the implementation of some of the psychosocial services that can be sustained uh, not only at the University of Michigan, Michigan Medicine, but also at the uh, at the state and national level. What exactly are like the so psychosocial services that you're you're describing? Definitely. So one thing that uh, so really I think it goes back to what Emily says. Consider our program as an umbrella to like on top of a patient's oncological care at Michigan Medicine. So our role is really, so a current, we're initiating a study under uh, this program is to get a broad understanding of what are some of the current needs of those AYE survivors, right? So we, we plan to do a survey, hopefully, of all the AYE patients and survivors who are receiving oncological care at Michigan Medicine and trying to get a better understanding of how we can provide support for them. Is it to get them better appointment? Uh, in, in the sense that, it, you know, a, a more timely appointment or is it to provide them more peer support? So that is what we're uh, doing now. And uh, in the future, what we're really hoping is that based on their feedback, it would then inform the further development of our uh, clinical service. That is, we are going to prioritize those areas with critical needs that, uh, you know, those AYA patients and survivors will feel comfortable and come to seek for those services. So uh, one thing, as Emily has already mentioned, is that we're going to connect them with um, adolescent medicine. So it's like as the uh, gatekeeper, if you may, they're going to do a comprehensive evaluation from uh, medical to psychosocial. And then starting from that point, the program are going to refer them to 
different services that may complement to their oncological care. That's exactly right. What we what we know from from the research is that you know when when we talk to survivors who were diagnosed in this age range, that they report a lot of unmet psychosocial needs. And you know, I can tell you as a practicing pediatric oncologist, we you know of course everyone tries their hardest. To, to, to address these psychosocial needs, but really the medical treatment often takes takes precedence. And, and I, think, I think there's a lot of room for improvement in that area. And so what I now described is that, you know, we really want this program to be patient-driven and patient-centered. So we know that we're actually meeting the needs that they, that they have. You know, I, I think, you know, I can come up with all these things that I think are lacking, but there's no better source than asking the patients. You know, and so part of, part of what we'll be doing the first two years of initiating this program is also running a pilot study where we'll be assessing for acceptability and um, success, really, of the program from both the from both oncologists, both treating oncologists, and from the patient population to see what what do we need to tweak, what could we be doing better. So one of the first studies that we're running through the research arm of this is we're looking into kind of acceptability of our current methods for fertility preservation and how we address that. And really, our our questions are first of all, do patients understand, you know, why their fertility might be at risk or that their fertility is even at risk. Um, why do some patients, you know, accept fertility preservation? Why do some patients refuse fertility preservation? These are the things we're trying to get at the heart of to better serve this patient population. And something that I forgot to mention earlier when we were talking about kind of the clinical structure of this is this aspect kind of melds with the research structure of it, but we are also going to have a patient advisory board who's really goal will be to dictate the services that we that we run from this program. And so this will be a group of patients that from both the pediatric and the adult side who meet on a regular basis and kind of help guide our program aims. Part of that will be the the plan to develop a patient mentorship program for our patients. So meaning patients who are newly diagnosed could potentially, if they're interested, be paired with someone who has already been through the process, who had a similar diagnosis. And then we really hope to form um, more more specific uh, support groups. So, you know, right now there's an adolescent and young adult support group, but it serves patients in a really wide age range. And as I was talking about earlier, these patients have very different needs. So, you know, we hope to form a support group for potentially, you know, new parents, patients in high school, patients, you know, who just started college, that sort of thing, to make it, you know, more of a, uh, a group of their peers who patients can can lean on and learn from. Yeah, and, and I have to assume that a 15-year-old leukemia patient has different needs than a 23-year-old testicular cancer patient. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Even if and, they're both and, males, but, you know, they would still have different needs and different, different uh, issues and concerns. That's exactly right. They were treated on completely different, um, you know, treatments. Um, so they have different risks going forward. And so it's not, you know, it's not enough to say, well, they're the same age range. And like you said, they're both men and they both had cancer, right? It, that's, mm -hmm. that's not enough. Both of you kind of mentioned this as, as an umbrella program. So this is, for lack of a better term, virtual compared to like an actual clinic setting? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So I think what's important to know that I, I really want to stress is that 
patient's care will stay within their oncologist who, who they were referred to, who diagnosed them. So really the disease specialist. And we think that's really important for the, the reasons that I mentioned earlier is that these patients really have a, quite a range. So you can't really just say, I'm an adolescent oncologist because that, that composes you know, breast cancer to leukemia and those, you know, are treated very, very differently, obviously. And so patients' oncologic care and treatment will stay within the purview of their treating oncologist. But our hope is that their oncologist will refer them to our program and, and then we can kind of plug them in with adolescent medicine and these other services that we've described going forward. And we can be involved at these key critical transitions as well. So we'll be in the background kind of keeping track of these patients and available to these patients and intervene as needed, but also at these critical transition points. And I just want to add very quick that uh, similar to what Emily described, our role, I think, is really as to fill in the gap of their of our patients' care experiences. So we're not necessarily actively intervening anything, but when they feel that there is an unmet needs, that we are really just there for them. So if, if that is whether if they want an appointment with another department or that is just they want a peer that they want to speak to. So it's really that we're feeling we're being there and feeling the gap. This is a, a, a pretty comprehensive program uh, in offering a lot of different extra resources and tools for um, these patients. Can this be found at other uh, cancer centers um, here in the state, in the country? Or are there other other programs similar to this? Yeah, there are. So we are really, really lucky to be partnering with um, an organization called Teen Cancer America. And they are, their full name is Who Cares? Teen Cancer America. And they were founded by the um, the stars, Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend of The Who. And what this incredible organization does is they help hospitals develop these type of programs. So basically they've, they've recognized that there are a lot of unmet needs in this patient population and they help fund hospitals uh, to implement these, these programs. So we are joining a huge list of hospitals around the country that these are, these are really popping up. So for example, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, um, Children's Hospital of Minnesota, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Children's Hospital of Stanford. So really across the country, these are starting to pop up as people realize that there's significant unmet need. I know we've talked about the research goals of the program. Has there been any research um, that we've been involved with or you've been involved with leading up to uh, the, the launch of this program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so because we have this unique platform to sort of harnessing the expertise of adolescent and young adult cancer researchers across the University of Michigan campuses, we're actually during our uh, still pretty young phase of the program, we've already secured an external grant funded by the St. Baldrick's Foundation for Pediatric Cancer to conduct a pilot trial of delivering computer-based cognitive behavioral therapy for adolescent and young adult cancer survivors' mental health outcomes. We are also secured an internal grant from the University of Michigan School of Social Work to establish a pre-doctoral fellowship with a specific focus on health disparity among AYA uh, cancer survivors. We're also in the process of submitting, and uh, some of them are now being under-reviewed by the National Cancer Institute, 
uh, for uh, randomized control trials to improve the biopsychosocial outcomes for adolescent patients and survivors. What about clinical trials? So um, we, we have not, um, as of yet, developed any um, clinical trials, but I see a great opportunity to do so in the future. Um, my hope is that we can develop, you know, start with institutional clinical trials, potentially expand these to regional cancer centers. Um, of which there are several in the area. I'm also hoping that we can do joint tumor boards with the um, medical oncology department um, and really just develop a uh, more robust partnership for this patient population. As we wrap up, is there anything that you want the listeners to know uh, that we've not maybe covered? I think we could end with a quote from the great Archie Blyer, if, if that would work. I love this quote. I wish I could have said this that eloquently, but but he said in 2007, the greatest difference in the management of adolescent and young adult patients is the supportive care, particularly psychosocial care that they require. These patients have special needs that are not only unique to their age group, but also broader in scope and more intense than those at any other time of life. And so recognizing that is something that these adolescent and young adult programs have, have done and that we are hoping and trying to address with our program at Michigan Medicine. Well, I, I think that sounds great. Uh, I really appreciate the time, uh, Emily, and now uh, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for listening. And tell us what you think of this podcast by rating and reviewing us. If you have suggestions for additional topics, you can send them to cancercenter@med.umich.edu or message us on Twitter at umrogocancer. You can continue to explore the three P's of cancer by visiting rogocancercenter.org.